All right. I thought uh, Paul was about to get up and start teaching again. I got a little confused there. Thought I had the day off. All right. Um, I've got six chapters of Proverbs to cover this morning because I won't be here next week. So what I decided to do was take uh, a couple of verses out of each chapter and try to pose some discussion questions on them this morning. Um, Various topics and generally going to be um, verses that you've heard before. So we're going to start in Proverbs 19 this morning. And hopefully we'll make it all the way through uh, Proverbs 24. We'll see. Um, we're going to start off in Proverbs 19 this morning, and the verse that I picked for Proverbs 19 is verse 11. I thought this was a good one. Um, not unique to this chapter, of course. You oftentimes see these thoughts in the book of Proverbs repeated in various ways or rephrased. Um, but verse 11 in the I think New American Standard reads, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his, it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Uh, ESV says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. All right. So I think this is self-explanatory in its writing. Um, what we're talking about, that word discretion, I really like. Um, the, the ability to discern, to look at a situation and think things through um, before you act, right? This, this goes back to this idea of being slow to anger, slow to wrath, slow to speak. Um, this is kind of an Old Testament Proverbs version of, of that type of idea. Um, in that discernment, the result of that is that you are slow to anger because you're taking time to think out the situation and to think out what's going on. And as a result of that, remember that the Proverbs are oftentimes paired up with uh, connecting thoughts. The result of having discretion, the result of uh, being able to be slow to anger is that you're able to overlook transgressions or offenses or wrongs done to you. Okay? So that's, that's the result. That's the outpouring of the ability to have discernment and the ability to keep a cool head in a situation is that you are going to be the type of person who can take something that's been done wrong to you and move past it. And so I wanted to throw out the first question this morning. Hopefully we can get some participation here. Have you ever had someone wrong you in some sort of way? that you were able to, to get over and look past? I know the first part of that question, everyone would say yes. I think we've all been wronged in some way. We've all had some offense committed against us before. Um, any, any stories to share? Any wisdom? It's not a story. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right, so Nathan's going to the very top with the, the first example, right? Is that Jesus, no, Jesus being the perfect example is that so many wrongs were done to him, right? And at so many opportunities did he have the chance 
to, to stop, to get revenge, to, to lash out, multitude of options, right? So many different options to, <coughs> to respond in, in some sort of negative way that would have doomed us all. And yet he didn't. And again, that's discretion, right? That's discernment. Because we learn from his prayer in the garden, what? He understood the impact of what he was about to do, right? He understood how important it was. And so placing that above his own desires, he was able to, to overlook those offenses. He was able to look past um, the heat of the moment, right? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the ultimate, right, towards the end of his life. But throughout his life, right, he, he had to deal with those things. People rejecting him, Pharisees criticizing him, even his own followers doubting him at times. He was able to see the big picture in those situations. Oftentimes people can respond to us in negative ways, and the challenge comes upon us is how do we handle that, right? Do we stoop to that level and respond in kind, or do we, you know, do we, do we take the higher road? It only goes back to childhood lessons you've learned. Two, two wrongs don't make a right. And so responding in that way, getting on that level, is, is not what we're expected to do. One question I want to pose, just taking the principle of this verse here, um, is this the same as forgiveness? Is this verse describing forgiveness? No, not really. Okay, why not? Yeah, so that's, that's been my understanding as well. And I've had this conversation with people over the years. I've heard differing viewpoints on either side, but that's kind of where I've fallen too. The idea behind forgiveness is reconciliation, right? That someone has been wronged and someone has sought 
forgiveness for the wrong they had done. The two come together and mend the relationship, and now there's reconciliation. And we see that with our relationship with God, right? As we've wronged God, we come to God asking forgiveness. We, we respond to his invitation, and we are then reconciled. We're brought back together. What this is describing, at least just, just from the, the single verse we have here, right? This, this example I was already using is one-sided, right? We don't have any description of what the person doing the wrong has done or not done. And so what I read from here is, on you, you are not holding it against them, and you are not reacting and responding in a vengeful way. But we don't have any description of what the person doing the wrong, you know, how they've handled the situation. And so, absent, you know, more information, I would suggest that this isn't the same as forgiveness because the one who should be forgiven has not attempted to reconcile, right? They haven't made any, any confession, any attempt at righting the wrong or approaching the person that had been wronged. And again, we see this with God, right? God is not overlooking um, our sins without our agency in the process. That's not forgiveness in that sense. God forgives us when we come to him and ask and obey. Okay. And maybe land disputes? Land, divorce and land disputes, okay. I was not expecting to discuss land disputes this morning. Go ahead. People really hold grudges about their land and their property. Right. But divorce, look how rampant it is. Mm -hmm. And how do you ever truly forgive when you've been betrayed that way? Yeah, that's one of the ultimate challenges for reconciliation, right, is bringing a marriage back together that's been, that's been separated. Um, yeah, I, I do also want to point out, there are times where we can't necessarily forgive in that sense, but we can overlook a wrong, right? If someone has wronged you, but maybe they passed away, right? There's no way for you two to reconcile anymore because the other party is not there. When there's divorce, it never goes away. Mm -hmm. It remains in your mind. It remains in the children's mind. It, it's such a scar. It's really mm -hmm. hard. But regardless of the other party, right, you still have the ability to, to try to move past the offense, right, to get it off your heart. You have to. Exactly. We have an example of two men that this happened to in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2? When Peter made the mistake of Paul rebuking from the other. Ah. We know that those two men got along after. Right, right. The correction was made and they went ahead and worked. Right. Paul rebuking Peter for his behavior, right? And they had to get back together, right? They had to reconcile for the good of the church, for the good of themselves, right? That's a good point. But if someone has made you angry enough, uh, you know, angry, and like you said, they passed away, mm -hmm. for your own benefit, you can forgive them. You don't have to wait for them to ask you. Um, you know, forgive them because if you're holding on to something, that's going to cause bitterness, and that's going to poison you. So just <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, that... Yeah, that's what we're talking about here is letting things go, right? Not holding on to it, moving past it. Um, even if, again, even if the other party isn't involved or is unwilling, you can still, you know, for the good of your own heart, you know, overlook the offense. All right. I don't think, well, that's still the on track. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. I want to read two verses that are related. Proverbs 20, verse 10. Differing weights and differing measures, both of them are abominable to the Lord. And then verse 23. 
Differing weights are an abomination to the Lord, and a false scale is not good. So what's being described here? The metric system. The metric system, thank you. Any other? Uh, fairness. Fairness, right. Uh, fairness, equity. Um, oh, there's one other word I was going to use. I forget what it was now. Yeah, the idea of basically balance, right? A balanced scale means that during this time when there was a business transaction, right, you would put things on the scale. And if the scale was not balanced, that means that someone was getting shortchanged and someone was getting excess, right? And so the idea behind this balanced scale is that both parties in the transaction are getting what is fair. Right? They're getting what is due them, okay? Now, if we're thinking in Bible times, okay, that makes a lot of sense, right? You go to the marketplace, you buy, I don't know, a pound of fruit or something, and you put you know, your money in the scale to make sure that it's balanced out, and that's living an honest life, right? That's, that's the whole point, is to, to be honest in your transactions. What does this mean in the 21st century? Because we don't use scales anymore. Things have changed a lot. So how do I take this idea of keeping scales balanced into my life in this modern age? Honesty in our dealings. Hmm? Honesty in our dealings? Okay, what kind of dealings? Every, Every dealing? A cop-out answer, but true. <laughs> but think, about, think about your interactions on a daily basis, right? Okay, here's a, here's a good example. Have you ever been to a restaurant and you get your check and they forgot to put your drink on the check? Right? I try to make it a habit to say, hey, you forgot to charge us for the drink. Now, it wouldn't be me because I drink water and they never charge for that. But if Allison's drink was not on the ticket, then I would say, hey, you forgot the drink. Now, probably about two thirds of the time, they'll say, oh, that's so nice of you for being honest. Don't worry about it. Right? But then there's another part of the time where we're like, oh, thank you. I'll go charge you for it. And you're sitting there thinking, no, I was honest. You're not supposed to charge me for it, right? That was why I told you, so that you would think I'm a good person and not charge me, and I'd still get the free drink. Um, but that, that is a very simple, I think, example in our daily lives where that's being equitable, right? That's being fair. I, there was a mistake, and it was to my benefit, right? Think about playing Monopoly. There's the, the bank error in your benefit, and you get money, right? For us to live a life of balanced scales, we need to right wrongs even when they're in our favor, right? And so that very simple mistake that really is not affecting anyone's life shows, I think, and I'm not trying to you know, toot my own horn here, but I think shows your character and how you approach your interactions and dealings with other people. Because it's an attempt to not cheat someone out of something even if it really doesn't matter, you know, in a financial sense. Does that make sense? Does anyone have a, a more, I don't know, impactful example? That was the best one I could come up with. Go ahead. I went with a group of family members. Uh-huh. Not my husband, but <laughs> This is incriminating. Yeah. So, um, Dove Shores a couple years ago, and I was in the bathroom, and this lady left her, it was an expensive, it Right. Right. And I tried to catch her. Right. Circumstances. It took me a minute. Right. So I looked around, and all I seen was her shoes. That's all I could see was her shoes. Wow. Okay. So I walked around and walked around, and my family members asked me, "Well, why?" I showed them, and they're, "Oh, that's expensive." 
Exactly. I mean, that's. I think that's a good example. Yeah, you find something potentially valuable, you know that it's someone else's, and you're making an attempt to get it back to them. I can live with myself knowing that I didn't try. Right. Now, right. I, you know, yeah. But I tried. That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. That sometimes people view it as God has given me this misfortune from someone else. Right. Right. That's a tough situation. Right. This is one thing we often overlook to our detriment. When we talk about society, we talk about how the family unit is is the base of society. Everything is built upon the family unit. And when the family unit erodes, society erodes. The same thing is true here. When fairness erodes, mm -hmm. then the whole society erodes. When you look back in the Old Testament times, if a visitor came to you, you went out to your flock, and you took the absolute best you had, and that's what you gave them. And we don't do that any longer in hmm. today. That's the reason when you go, if you go to purchase a car, you go to purchase property, a home, whatever, you know, you got to sign 400 different pieces of paper because people in our society have been dishonest before. <coughs> And it affects all of us. Right. We're, we're a very litigious people, and everyone is trying to find an edge over someone else. And then lawyers get involved, and that's when you're signing contracts that are... Everybody else pays Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's a good point. I mean, that's, that's kind of the world we live in, right? Is that everyone is trying so hard to eke out some sort of advantage over someone else that you have to put everything on paper because you can't trust them. Go ahead. Mm, what do you mean? Mm. Okay. Yeah, Nathan says if you're not if you're not giving a day's work but you're earning a day's wages, you know, is, is that an issue of a balanced scale, right? Are you putting forward what you were paid for? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Being honest with your employer and your dealings. Yeah. <coughs> Yeah, so I think you guys get a pretty good grasp of this. I, I think, at least at the personal micro level, I think we all understand this pretty well. There are conversations that people have that are above my head, and I don't have the intelligence to, to uh, really, I don't feel like I can have an informed opinion. At the more social level, you guys probably hear this, especially in politics, about like equity and who's fairness for people, and there's all these debates about that. I don't have control over that. And like I said, I don't know if I'm really informed enough to, to present a whole lot of good opinions on it. But in my daily life, I can seek to have balanced scales with the people around me, right? That's all within my control. And I give my best effort. Not, not everything's in my control. If I can't find the person that lost the thing, you know, then I've tried my best, right? Sometimes you find $10 on the sidewalk and there's n you have no clue, you know, who, who might have dropped it. Um, but 
the effort to try to make sure that these scales are balanced in your dealings with other people. I think that's really what we're getting at here, is in your personal interactions to make sure that you're being fair and that you're being um, um, equitable with other people. A lot of people in here don't have to deal with what I deal with trading for a living. Okay. Yeah, so that's so. a good point. So how many people have you swindled? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yours is very difficult because it's not just set prices for things. There's a lot of bidding and auctioning. So, so and when you, do, when you do a deal, you try to make money because I'm trying to feed my right. family, trying to survive. Right. But you don't have to go that extra mile to mess over somebody, mm -hmm. put it quietly in this room. What you try to do is you unbalance the scales where you go a little bit further. Mm -hmm. So when I trade with a guy or when we do a deal or something comes up and I make it right, they're very shocked and surprised mm -hmm. because that's not the norm. Right. And I have found through 30 plus years of doing it that way, God notices it. <laughs> well, and it's not just the value of things, right? It's, it's also the quality of what you're giving because there are people, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a reason that there's a stereotype of the used car salesman, right? Is that there might be issues with whatever you're getting that you don't know about that would lower the value, right? And so not only, I think, giving a fair price for what the person understands they're getting, but also making sure you're upfront about what they are getting is another aspect of that. Yeah. And going, going that extra mile when something happens. Right, and being transparent. I was just kidding, Ken. I don't want to malign your character. I trust you. These verses tend to follow golden rule. Yeah, it's a lot of golden rule. A lot of Proverbs is golden rule, just in specific instances, right? Yeah. How they were treating people. Being honest like that in some businesses can, can be bad for your career. <laughs> well, think, think back to um, the, uh, the, the more, well, I'll the more recent, but not, not the black and white one, but the Santa Claus from the like 80s, 90s, I think. When he's sitting in the store and he tells the, the mother, you should go to this other toy store because they have it at a better price, right? And the, the, the executive is shocked, why would he do that? But then the feedback he gets is, I respect the honesty of this establishment and I'm gonna recommend this business because of how you treated me. So, you know, we don't think about that a lot of times in the moment, um, but th I think that's a, a fictional but poignant example of, of some of this too. That's because today's society has become so um, me, me, me. Mm -hmm. it's, it's about what can I get from you whether I deserve it or not. Right. That's, that's the way it's become. Right. And you know, you were talking about things. <clears throat> I walked out of the store one day and I thought I had gotten everything and I got to the car and I realized, oh, I didn't pay for this. Mm -hmm. I found it in the buggy and, 
And I was like, I didn't pay for this. So I went back in Walmart and told the girl at self-checkout, said, you know, I found this at my buggy. I forgot to pay for it. She goes, and you came back in? <laughs> uh, yeah, because I didn't pay for it. Right. Yeah, people. And people are shocked. They're, they're absolutely shocked that you do stuff like that. But you think about it, it's, it's, a, it's a poor reflection on our world. But it was like this 4,000 years ago. It was like this 2,000 years ago. It's not anything new. But your behavior that surprises people is what you're, it sets you apart, is what you're supposed to be doing, right? That's why we're called to do these things, because they challenge people's <coughs> expectations. And they point them to something better, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reflects on the church, it reflects on Christ, it reflects on your family, it reflects on you. Yeah. All right. Uh, chapter 21. We're, we're, we're pushing through. Uh, chapter 21, verse 3. To do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. And I think, I think everyone's heard this one before. Uh, Hosea 6, verse 6, quoted in Matthew 9, verse 16, I believe, by Jesus. I desire mercy more than sacrifice. So again, modern day, because we don't, you know, in the Old Testament context, what was the sacrifice? You know, it was the, the rituals. What is our sacrifice? And what does God desire more than that? Because this is a really, I mean, this one is explicitly mentioned in the New Testament teaching, right? This is something that Jesus expects from us. And so if I'm going to live a life of, I desire mercy over sacrifice, I need to understand what the sacrifice is, what the mercy is, and I need to understand why the mercy is more important. Who is the sacrifice pointed toward? Yeah, that, that's, what, okay, that's what I'm trying to get at is ultimately in the biblical sense, when I offer a sacrifice, who is it going to? God. When I offer mercy, who is it going to? Man, right? I don't offer mercy to God, and I don't sacrifice to people. And so if the lesson is that I want mercy more than sacrifice, what is God saying? God rather say that your heart is right 
than to see you go through all the motions of mm -hmm. the sacrifice and all the laws and everything, which looks okay, but your heart might not be correct. Not only your heart being right, but go back to that definition of mercy, right? So you're extending that to, to other people, else. to someone else, right? Um, you hear these kinds of themes this time of year with the holidays coming up and everything, and there's all these feel-good movies and songs or whatever. This is real life, though. Think about it. We're here on this Sunday morning, and we're offering sacrifices to God. And what God is saying is, if you're not merciful to other people, I don't want you here. Right? Right. Don't, don't come if you can't be merciful to other people. And so think about... What is merciful, right? How am I merciful to others? Because ultimately, if God had to choose, he would choose that, right? If God had to choose one or the other, he'd tell us all to go home and be merciful to somebody. And I think that's interesting. And I fear that we live in a world that doesn't really understand that, even in a religious world that doesn't quite understand that. Because I look around and I see a whole lot of people that think they're making great sacrifices and they do not have mercy in their lives or in their words, or in their actions. And so we, we cannot lose sight, as the Pharisees did, as the priests did, as the, um, the Jewish people in the latter part of the Old Testament did, we can't lose sight of mercy because we're so wrapped up in sacrifice. Because ultimately, if we don't have the mercy, the sacrifice is worthless. Exactly. Those people are on the way to religious activities. Mm -hmm. And I want to do I want to do a lesson series on this sometime, or maybe I can ask David to do sermons on it. The warning of the Old Testament, right? The warning of the Good Samaritan. Who are the people that did things? The warning of the Pharisees. Who are the people that were in the wrong? The religious people, the faithful attending church people. Who are the people that were doing righteousness? The ones who weren't expected to be the ones to do that, which puts us in a very dangerous situation. Because if the story repeats itself, we're not the Samaritans, right? We're the Levites, and we cannot let that happen. James addresses this, James 2, 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of mm -hmm. daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what is the Right. Yeah, and it was, what verse in James was that, James? James 2, 15 and 16. 2, 15 and 16, just for the recording and for the streaming, that they can look it up. All right, continuing the whirlwind, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. I, I couldn't avoid bringing this one up, and I think I already addressed it a little bit when we did our intro, but I just, I want to address it again just a little bit. Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Challenging proverb, but I think it's mostly challenging perhaps because of how we're approaching it and how we're trying to understand it. If you go back to our introductory class that I did, one of the points I tried to get across was Proverbs, is, it's not a binding commandment, right? This is not New Testament scripture. These are words of wisdom. And, at least from my perspective and from my study, the point of the Proverbs is to provide general life advice, right? To give you an idea of how things will go, generally speaking, if you live in such a way. The 
the books of um, Ecclesiastes and Job are insightful treatments of what happens when things don't go the way you would expect based on wisdom, right? Because things don't always go the way you would expect them to. These aren't guarantees. This is advice from God. And so I say that to say people struggle with this verse because they think I must have done something wrong because I trained up my child in the way I thought he should go, and now he's older and he's departed from it. To expect this verse to be a guarantee nullifies the free moral agency of your child, right? You cannot control the decisions of another person, no matter how close you are to them. And so I want us to try to have a healthy understanding of this verse that doesn't rack us with guilt if something goes wrong. Because ultimately the idea is you need to be instilling these things in your children, right? That's the point. And even if they depart at some point of the faith, that, that doesn't mean they've forgotten those things, right? If you train them up, it's still in them, right? It's still in their heart, still in their mind. And who knows what will happen down the road, right? We never know how someone's life is going to turn out. But it troubles me to see Christian parents so torn up because they read this verse thinking that it was a guarantee and that they must have done something wrong, right? I do think it's possible for a faithful Christian to raise their child right and the child still choose another path because they have that free moral agency. Go ahead. I take this for the elderly remember chocolate because of long-term memory. Mm -hmm. So pile as much Bible and stuff we can into a kid when they're young. Right. And then when they get old, it's going to be with them whether they obey it or not. It's right. It's in the long-term memory. Right, right. It's still, there. it's still there, right? It's not as if they suddenly have amnesia, you know, in the lessons you taught them or worthless or gone or whatever. It's still there. And there's always hope for someone, you know, until they draw their last breath. Um. And just because our children are grown, we can still train. We can right. Right, it's not like you're racing to the age of 18 and then once you hit that point, it's done and you can't do anything more, right? Right. 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 Yeah. Same, same with baptism. Baptism is not like we don't teach once saved, always saved. Right. We teach that you have agency in your life, and at any moment in your life, you are making a decision to stay faithful, and you can choose to not be faithful. Yep. Twenty-three, verse thirteen, fourteen. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Like, if I take this approach to proverbs, then there's a whole lot of other proverbs that I really have to explain, right? Okay. Oh, right, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, chapter twenty-three. We're gonna go verses twenty-nine through thirty-five. I want to get a little controversial. I know you're surprised. I just laid out the perspective that Proverbs is not doctrine. It's not New Testament doctrine. Well, let's open up Proverbs verse 23 and read verses 29 through 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, 
At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things and you'll be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who dies down on the top of the mast. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. Uh, did not know it. When shall I awake? I shall seek another drink. Now, before anybody gets carried away, I'm not telling you that it's okay to drink alcohol. But what I am telling you is we live in a world of arguments, right? And if I'm going to be teaching people, I need to be able to teach people effectively. And I see people apply this section of verses as if it were New Testament doctrine. And it's not, okay? We don't need to be right for the wrong reasons. I do think there is an argument to be made against the consumption of alcohol based on New Testament teachings. But I think all that we can scripturally take from this is God's perspective on the drunkard, right? And the plight that he's in. And the fact he needs to get out of it. I don't think we have doctrine here because this is not New Testament, right? This is a proverb. Now, I think this attitude and mindset is reflected in the New Testament. And maybe some of you think that I'm just splitting hairs here. But when we're trying to make an intellectually honest argument in a debate with someone else over Scripture, if we use the wrong verse to support our point and we counteract another teaching, such as the New Testament is God's will for man in this age, then we undercut our stance, right? And so really my point here is not the teaching on whether alcohol is okay or not, but just that for us to consider when we're making our, our points to other people, when we're trying to teach, that we're thinking through and staying consistent intellectually. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Right. Right. Proverbs are not only words of wisdom, they're words of warning, right? And I think this safely falls within the realm of a word of warning, right? This is what to expect if you partake in this. This is what's going to happen to you. And that's all throughout the book of Proverbs, too. Okay, we didn't make it through all of the chapters, I'm going to leave you some homework on chapter 24, okay? Chapter 24, verses 3 through 7. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong, and a man of knowledge increases power. For by wise guidance he will wage war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Wisdom is too exalted for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. All right, my only question for this one is, does this describe you, right? Someone who pursues wisdom. So think on yourself, am I being described here, right? Am I someone who values and searches out knowledge? Am I living my life in pursuit of godly wisdom? Thank you for your comments and your attention this morning.